Welcome to Brand Agony. I'm Alan Black. Every episode, we use the soothing power of stronger language to solve a problem for a troubled marketing professional. Today, we're talking about the robot uprising, or to put it another way, we're asking if the next generation of copywriters should be concerned about artificial intelligence. To answer this thorniest of questions, I'm joined by a couple of very human copywriters, uh, Black Ads' Chris Tapley. Hello. And Shan Ross. Hello. Hello. So, on to this week's letter, which comes from Lee in Manchester. Dear Blackad, I'm finishing up university and thinking about a career in copywriting. I'm confident I've got the chops, but I've read stories about artificial intelligence taking over lots of copywriting jobs. Is there a future in copywriting for a hungry young scribe? Yours? Anxious about automation? Lee. So, thanks for your letter, Lee. This is a great question, as automation and AI is something affecting many different types of work. But even considering it at your stage, um, I think you're doing the right thing. Luckily, we know a thing or six about the development of AI in the writing space. So you could say we've been keeping a close eye on the enemy. We're pretty sure we can help out here. So as always, we're going to tackle the situation in three steps. So first of all, over to the diagnosis table. Just pop on the gloves again. <clears throat> so... Um, Let's diagnose first. Broadly, we need to analyse the progress of the robot uprising. We know that self-driving cars are almost there for motorway driving, not quite. And we know that robots are common in lots of manufacturing and healthcare processes. And there is obviously the inevitable, you know, to use the the kind of polite language, displacement of roles, put it another way, people losing their jobs. Um, How are the robots, though, getting on with writing great headlines, great copy? Shan, what, what do you reckon? My first thought here is uh, it's important to remember that AI is not something that's new in writing. And um, writers have been using AI-powered spell check for years now. Um, and that capability is developed through machine learning and using the data that it's given. It's getting more sophisticated all the time. And Spellcheck has, what, decades of data now? Mm. And it's still quite flawed. So we've not been replaced yet. Um, I think we're some way off. So I'm a bit sceptical about the whole idea. Yeah. Um, lots of lots of times we'll, we'll have this issue in our team where Spellcheck just isn't understanding a word, is seeing that it's, it thinks it's being used incorrectly, even though we know it is correct. And um, a, a great example was uh, a couple of couple of evenings ago, just asking uh, Alexa, the voice assistant, uh, to define something for me, and it got it completely wrong. Um, and then you go and look it up properly in a, in a in a trusted source, and you get the real answer. So I, I think that that all this technology is kind of like it's fantastically useful, but you got to you got to take it with a pinch. Um, so spell checkers just being quite narrow, quite limited in terms of probably understanding context we, we would say um they often miss that you've used just you know entirely the wrong words so i'm typing up my famous uh world famous i believe uh carbonara recipe and i accidentally uh type cereal instead of cream um so i could do that just because i'm distracted or i'm thinking about you know a delicious uh, uh macchiato uh uh maybe later on with a little bit of a pan on top Nothing wrong um, in the eyes of the spell check. Um, it, it's spelt correctly, but my dinner guests are be furious. Similarly, the, the kind of uh, the classic ones like self-addressed antelope rather than envelope. Um, there, there are ruder ones as well that I'd better not say on Apple Podcasts. But um, there's uh, the word public. Um, you can take just one of the consonants out of that word and end up with what could be perceived to be quite a rude word, uh, depending on context. And the spell check won't see anything wrong with that. Um, public spelt without the L, just to um, 
just to, to ram the point home. That, that's a kind of classic, okay? And, and it's, it's some, embarrassing. It's extremely embarrassing if, if, uh, if it's used, if, depending on the context, it could be horribly embarrassing. And it's one that we've picked out in our little, in one of our little social media posts uh, recently. Um, Shan, what do you reckon? Yes. So uh, very embarrassing for everyone. And that is actually only part of the limitations that we've found with it. Um, so AI spell checkers can only really see the shape and structure of sentences. And um, so they can see um, things like if you've missed a word, maybe you've repeated a word, maybe you've got the wrong tense. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, where those things can actually be quite hard for the human brain to pick up. So um, when you're proofing your copy. So that's really good. They can do that. Um, but only to a basic level. Beyond that, they fail to really um, catch anything. So in terms of tone, audience style, it's all going to go past the AI. Um, so I'm really not convinced that the new AI tools are much better than Spellcheck based on what I've seen so far. But I mean, are they? Yeah, well, I suppose that's that's the question we're here to try and answer. Um, we know that AI reviewing um, it, it can work, you know, sort of okay uh, if you've got some existing content and you're asking it to cast an eye over it but you wouldn't want to set it loose without supervision um definitely not um chris um in, in terms of writing from scratch what's your take on things well i mean this is the, the thing that is it's never really writing entirely from scratch it needs base material to work with so you need to feed it a data set to show it the type of content that you want to produce something that I can model its output on in terms of style, sentence length, structure, and so on. So for the system to kind of develop a full picture of these things, you need quite a big data set. You know, you need a, a lot of volume to be pushed into it. And even then, its abilities can be fairly limited. Yeah, so um, it's always going to be uh, a riff on something else. And, you know, even if that, riff is is maybe i suppose you know some sort of intelligent you know leap of leap of leap of logic which uh makes it feel like it's it's fresh and new um i don't know how often that happens with ai it doesn't happen that often with with the, the tools that we see but th- that idea of riffing on something else but always being built on something else perhaps not ideal for everyone um and when you when you say it's limited i mean what what, what are the other limits that you see what other constraints are there well, because everything's kind of spawned from the original data set, um, it, it struggles to stray too far from that. So it can write short form content to a reasonable standard, providing that you're feeding it enough information. And that's where it's mostly being used in the real world just now. So uh, a lot of big brands are using AI software to write short headlines for stuff like dynamic targeted ads or maybe for you know email subject lines. So where it can basically just slot words into providing structures. So for, for ads, for example, say someone's searching around holidays to Florida, it can immediately serve up an ad saying, you know, best prices on holidays to Florida yeah. and different variations on that. You know, we're talking a few sentences at most, but it, it, it's got enough of an understanding of what's going on there that it can, it can present something relevant and, and well-written. And this is something that we've looked at. So there, there are companies out there, an example might be Frazy, um, and they do a lot of work that when I look at how they describe themselves, I, I think it it feels a lot like it's not just this, but it feels like it's it's really on the territory of conversion rate optimization, CRO, sometimes shortened. So the idea of, you know, what goes where, what what bits of the argument do we present in different places in the in the email that are more likely to get people 
um, opening the email and then engaging with the email through clicks and then buying. So a lot of the examples they give um, are, are to do with email. And that seems great because, you know, as you said, something like a, a short, you know, uh, on the fly produced ad for, you know, a holiday in Florida, you know, that that's going to have a, little, a nice little short headline, which is probably around about the length that you know of a of a an email subject line. If you imagine the email subject line, we we know that you know round about that kind of twenty characters in length is your kind of optimal kind of optimization length for a for a, an email subject line. If it, if you're trying to sell something in a in a headline, as opposed to just maybe describing, I'm talking about selling an actual thing in the email, like a holiday, like insurance, whatever. That we know that length works. Um, and we know that you know we should be pursuing that. And if the tool is able to bring a couple of other things to play, like we have proven that these kind of words in this kind of place in the in the email heading, uh, subject header rather, will work well, then you know it it can riff around that. But given a given a data set or given some given some uh, information about the offer you're trying to promote, but the the big question then is. Um, Beyond, you know, something like a, an email subject line or maybe email pre-header text, which are the two things you're going to see in your inbox, um, can it go longer, Chris? Wow, this is where things start to get a bit trickier. Because it kind of builds everything on the, the sort of opening sentence uh, or it builds the opening sentence of its text on the data set and the kind of prompt that you've given it, then each subsequent sentence has to build on what the AI has produced before. So it's continually kind of getting further and further away from the original point of origination. Uh, and you tend to find that then they go off on strange tangents. But, you know, all they can do is provide something that seems relevant to um, what they've they've put before it, you know. Yeah. Um, so in the software, uh, th- that might seem in context, but to humanize, that might seem crazy. So you, you talked about your your carbonara, for example, your, your serial carbonara, um, the AI is quite likely to then grab onto that word serial and start talking about that. And then it's going to make a jump to breakfast and toast, you know, and it keeps making these small jumps that seem fairly innocuous, but you end up miles away from your original point, you know. Mm. Uh, we, we might get onto this a little bit later on as well. Um this this is something that we certainly saw in the, in a Guardian article that was that was written by an AI. It was it's a little bit more to it than that, but it, essentially that sense of straying and that lack of focus those to me feel like the kind of big bad points. It's like anyone can write you know five hundred words on a subject. Is it in focus? Have we talked about the important things? Have we been persuasive? Have we helped to change people's minds? If if you're not if you're just moving further and further away from the point, and you know that the task becomes write five hundred words on a subject rather than help get the main point across, then there's a huge flaw there. Um, and it sounds like from what both of you are saying that you know we're perhaps not massively worried about them taking over just yet. But then, then the kind of I suppose the other question is like that none of this is going away, and none of the technology is going to get worse. So it's only going to get more sophisticated. So how can copywriters or aspiring copywriters like Lee uh, protect ourselves? Um, and maybe, you know, not so much even protect, but how can we be part of whatever's coming next? How can we actually use this technology as AI you know, writing software inevitably develops? And that, I think, um, takes us very gently and logically into our treatment room. 
See, logical progression, focusing on a point. It's all about the copywriters, eh? Um, <laughs> Shan, do you think Lee's got a couple of decent treatment options here? What, what, should, what should he be doing? Um, well, I think maybe controversially, um, I think the technology could be a, a great development as long as it's used in the right way. So um, it's great as an assistive tool. Um, things like using a tool, maybe like Grammarly um, to proof work, that takes a bit of the burden off the proofing, um, just as long as he remembers that it is flawed, so not to rely on it too much. Because even those advanced tools, they are still quite limited, certainly at the moment. So, you know, as I mentioned before, Tone, um, they've started to try and understand that and it's getting better all the time. Um, but the categories there are still quite broad. So it can, mm. you know, you can switch between really formal writing or more informal writing or persuasive. Is it for business? Is it for storytelling? You know, things like that. Um, but actually what a copywriter, a human copywriter would do is a bit more nuanced. Um and tailoring tone to a specific brand, for an example, uh, for example, and the AI just can't do that yet. So yeah, see the tool as something that can help. Don't see it as the enemy, um, but then layer on expertise on top of that. Okay. Um, I've just remembered the point I was going to make earlier on about what I was asking uh, a voice assistant. And I was asking uh, the voice assistant, what's the Italian word for sauce? And it said salsa, which it is. But the answer I kind of wanted was sugo. Um, because that's also Italian word for sauce. It's got more nuanced meanings than that. And I'm not an a specialist in Italian, just be really clear that, that we're talking about carbonara um, and uh, the word sugo. Um, like it, it kind of got it. It didn't present me with an answer that was helpful. And it's like, it's still up to you to go and do a little bit of research to go and, and find out, you know, what the what the real truth is. Um, it, it, it comes down to this idea of, I suppose, just, Shan, developing your critical eye. Yeah, use it as a tool. Um, you know, certainly that's helpful, but make sure you ask questions rather than just trusting what it says. Yeah, I, I think it, that, that helps when it comes to understanding how we can work with AI, um, you know, as it, as it is today. Um, but Chris, I mean, it's not going to stay as it is today for very long. What about the, the stuff that's coming down the road that we know about? What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, it's developing all the time. And I think Shan's right that we do need to find ways in which we can um, use it to sort of uh, augment our, our work rather than sort of uh, feeding it. Um, I think it could be tremendously helpful. What people like Lee need to do is probably just to focus their own skills in areas where the the AI are not going to match anytime soon. So, you know, things like positioning, brand language, all the kind of important uh, thinking that happens around writing before it even makes it to the page. Mm. The AI, as it is just now, and probably for quite a long time in the future, uh, is only really going to be able to focus on what's on the page, which is only part of the story. You know, a human copywriter will bring so much more additional value to any bit of content. Um, for example, we spend a lot of time getting to know clients, understanding their aims and their wider sort of business objectives, their position within a market before we write a single word. And that's not something that AI is really capable of yet. So I think that's an area to focus on. Yeah, and, and taking that just a, t- a touch further, it can also be about just winning the trust of the of the client. And good luck with a tool just saying, do this, it'll work. If the, uh, if the people that are buying into it aren't persuaded just by a stark, you know, a logical explanation and haven't been bought into the solution, then... Um, 
they're not going to go with it, are they? So, you know, there's still a huge place for that kind of more consultative style of, of, of thinking, which I think most cooperators are pretty great at anyway. Um, and even if we are just thinking about what's on the page, even the most fantastically advanced, you know, software isn't going to come up with that truly convincing impression of a human writer. We were talking earlier on about this Guardian piece that was written by OpenAI. Our view in it was, you know, like, I'm really intrigued to see how good this is. Um, and we wanted it actually to be good. It was like, it would have almost been a rock back in our heels moment, but it was it was almost uniformly terrible. Now, I'm not saying that the Guardian had, you know, had made it bad by design, but they did say, we've edited this piece, we've done the usual sub-editing, and actually we had, I think it was about eight pieces that they had that they'd, they'd had as outputs from OpenAI, and they kind of stitched them together to form the, the, the article. So maybe a little bit of it was to do with that stitching together. So again, without, you know, having a go at the Guardian, uh, they were doing this as an experiment. But the, the tone, the, the, the piece itself... Um, it contradicted itself in terms of, you know, don't worry, AI's not coming to, 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 to kind of kill you and take over your job. But then it would it would say something that basically supported that point. And it, it would often do things like um, it would make assertions like, believe me, trust me, it's going to be okay. And the evidence it would offer up would be pretty scant and felt to me like it wasn't in any way persuasive. Um, gosh, it had been asked for simple making this a simple, clear piece. I think it was along those lines. They'd been told, it had been told to make the, the writing simple, the writing style simple. But what, what it ended up producing was uh, a very kind of, um, a, a very odd, um, unvarying sentence structure. Lots of similar length sentences, lots of similar constructions, essentially just a little bit odd to read. A little bit like having, if anyone's familiar with Star Trek, um, the next generation, Commander Data, the way he talks sometimes, he would just kind of like keep keep on talking, keep on talking, keep on talking. And uh, it's like he doesn't know when to shut up. It's almost like uh, the AI was doing a bit of that. And I thought that was a, that was just a kind of a kind of a little sweet moment for me thinking there's a kind of a fictional AI that that was actually is, is kind of predating this open AI tool that had a go at writing an article. And actually what they were doing was both quite similar. It was a kind of like weird, almost dystopian tone. And this also peculiar uh, inability to stay on topic and be persuasive. That for me was the big problem. It's like, it couldn't, it couldn't nail its point. Yeah, it was, it was quite a strange piece in that it, it kind of did read like it was written by a robot. Like say this sort of weird, repetitive, unvarying sentence structure. Um, it was just kind of spitting statements at you. Mm. Um, but overall, you know, the piece kind of had a, an arc. Um, so it's interesting to see how it is developing. Um, but it did highlight a lot of the issues uh, that comes with long form. There was a, a good piece in the New Yorker last year as well, which is worth um, seeking out if you're interested in this sort of thing, where they tried to get an earlier iteration of that same software to to write an article for the magazine, mm. and they, they kind of fed the archives into the machine, which is like 100 years or so of, of New Yorker articles. And it still had these same problems. Uh, the first few sentences were pretty convincing, but then it started to stray down strange paths and made less and less sense uh, as you, you went through it. Um, and I think at this stage, we're still maybe just asking it to do a little bit too much when it comes to these long form pieces, um, but it will get there. 
Yeah, one day. Um, we know its weaknesses then, and these will, we think, be ironed out over time. But again, go back to that big question: how can how can a copywriter, especially somebody starting out like Lee, cultivate their skills um, and do do their best to mean that they're they, they've got a, a career that progressive it gets you know progressively more interesting as opposed to you know a job that will be nicked by a robot. I think it's just a case of not restricting yourself to a niche, you know, so certainly don't uh, brand yourself as a, a headline writer or an ad writer, because as we've discussed, these are things that are already being sort of uh, AI uh, tasks. Um, so you need to kind of embrace variety and present uh, more of that sort of consultative aspect to your work uh, and probably, you know, as I said, learn to, to work alongside uh, these tools because they can probably help you to offer a better service at the end of the day. Yeah. So kind of embrace the idea of not being a machine. Um, sounds like we might be ready for stage three, stage three, which is staying healthy. Um, again, I'm just going to, I'm going to hog the harp today. So um, make way folks. Just uh, put down my little angel wings there to the side of the heart. I always think it sounds a little bit we're entering through the pearly gates. Uh, Shan, let's see. Uh, let's say that Lee gets a decent start in a good agency or a good in-house team, and wants to keep developing, making sure that AI becomes, you know, if it becomes more common, that Lee's going to be okay. How does he go about doing that? Um, good question. Uh, I think it's just a case of him maybe keeping an eye on how. AI is developing um, and just pushing himself and, you know, always trying to get better and um, focusing on the things that the AI can't do. So that creativity, strategy, empathy, um, and then that way him and the robots will be a force to be reckoned with. Okay. And should they continue using those, those tools to, to kind of help with that? Does it, is it, is that, yeah, I, I guess course, that's what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just make sure that, um, I think what he needs to do is just make sure that he doesn't put too much stock in the advice that he gets from them um, because using them as a tool to ask questions of your own work rather than simply taking what they say is the right answer is the way that that's going to help him along. Yeah, um, I think absolutely. Uh, the other th- the other thought that I had about this was just in terms of how you can use it is it can give you a bunch of options or it could maybe allow you to do something for a client that wouldn't be possible. But with a human, so maybe generating maybe for a creative campaign, you'd absolutely want to. What if you could create a thousand articles um, that were really quite well written, um, but were targeting very specific different niches? What if you could do that? Was your kind of one part of your creative campaign idea? You could use AI to kind of get those articles up and running, and then have a brisk human kind of uh, you know overview of them, which then maybe allows you to do focus on your core key big idea. So. For me, it's almost about, you know, you can use it to kind of A, generate ideas and B, bring new solutions to the table that would never have been thought about before. Um, I think that to me is quite cool. So, yeah, I completely agree. It's like, you know, asking asking questions of the answers that you're getting from it and using them as part of your, your kind of creative input, uh, not just like going straight to output and saying, right, that'll do. That's good enough. The AI did a decent job. Um, Chris, what were, your, what were your thoughts on staying healthy? Yeah, I think, um, you know, what you're, you're saying makes a lot of sense. Um, definitely keep an eye on how these services are developing and build them into your, your sort of toolkit. Like say, they can be great potentially for uh, generating 
large volumes of, of options, but then make sure that you're also bringing that more consultative and strategic aspect to the work. You know, so you're not just uh, plugging in the uh, the old AI copywriting machine. Uh, you're you're giving the client a, a clear sort of strategic direction, uh, which you can then use to shape the output from these tools. Mm, I think so. Um, I think you know Lee's responsibility and the agency's responsibility, the in-house team's responsibility, is to be clear to the client that you're that you're you're doing much more than writing, and it's always been that. Um, it's always been the job of the, the the writer to do more than just the writing. The writing is just just one piece. Um, uh, yes, it's the thing that you see. Yes, it's the kind of thing that gets delivered. But the value comes in in so many ways before that. And we we reckon, I think, from what we're seeing in today's chat, is that we're a pretty way, long way off AI being able to develop those creative, strategic thinking, consultative, um, you know, um, I suppose facilitatory, um, if I can use that word, skills that you just you, that's that's so important. All that stuff and also empathy for its audience as well. Um, that that for me is a biggie. Totally, yeah. I think it's important for for someone like me to just work on their understanding of all the things that shape a successful bit of content before it even reaches the page. Um, and if you've got a good grounding in that sort of more strategic uh, aspect of things, then you won't go far wrong. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, Lee, hopefully that gives you the confidence that a career in copywriting is still a great direction. We're pretty confident that AI will struggle to completely replace us, but we're also very positive that it's maybe a great way of um, supporting what we're doing, and I think ultimately perhaps making our jobs more interesting. So um, fingers crossed. Um, Lee, over to you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon using stronger language to cure another listener's brand agony. For more on brand language, messaging, content training and tone of voice, visit blackad.co.uk.